When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's the big 3-0 today. It's Wednesday. The pot of Yorkshire is on the go and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we bizarrely call the noughties and to the football of its time. This is the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast. This is episode 30. Today we'll be talking about the 2007 League Cup final as that was 14 years ago tomorrow. We're going to Portugal and to the 2003-04 season for the table never lies and that great fantastic Porto team under Jose Mourinho but first we're going to take a look at Blackburn Rovers of the 2000s let's go back let's go way way back to the 1910s and the Blackburn Rovers title winners of 1912 and 1914 that were unfortunately cut down in their prime before the first world war they'd win a sixth FA Cup in 1928 but spent three years in the second division in the late 1930s but they will be back they will be back in time for the cancellation of football before the ninth, the Second World War in 1939. But it wouldn't be long before they were back. Division 2, 1948 to 1958, a decade in the wilderness before returning to the top flight. And soon they would be in a cup final. The winner went to the Cup Winners' Cup. The first English team to play in the Cup Winners' Cup would either be Blackburn or Wolverhampton Wanderers. In 1960, it would be Wolves, winning 3-0 in the cup final at Wembley. Wolves, who lost their league title to Burnley of all teams by one point, so Blackburn had to deal with a cup final defeat, and then their biggest rivals in Burnley winning the league and then going on to a European Cup quarter final. And then for Blackburn Wilderness, they spent five years in Division 2 from 1966 to 1971, dropped to Division 3 for four more years in the mid-70s, before returning to Division 2 in 1975, although they would spend a single season in Division 3 in the 1979-80 season, they'd be back in Division 2 for a solid 12 years up until the formation of the Premier League. They'd have three cracks at newly formed playoffs 
losing in semi-finals in 1988 to Chelsea, Palace in 89 and Swindon in 1990. But as the old saying goes, it was fourth time lucky. They won 1-0 against Leicester in 1992. A perfect point for promotion. Jack Walker's millions, Alan Shearer was brought in. Blackburn were at the races. The first Premier League season would have Blackburn Rovers in it. The last time Blackburn Rovers had played a top flight match, England were even world champions. They were just about to win the World Cup in 1966. Blackburn would cobble together a title winning team with the likes of Sherwood as captain, Colin Hendry at the back, Tim Flowers in goal, obviously Sutton and Shearer up front. Beat out Manchester United after finishing fourth, then second and then third time lucky under Kenny Dalglish winning the title despite losing on the final day at Anfield, but that's because Manchester United floundered at Upton Park, drawing 1-1. But by 1999, the tide has turned. Manchester United had gone on to bigger successes such as the treble. Blackburn were relegated, and who else but Manchester United to relegate them in May of 1999 with a 0-0 draw on the final week of the season. Roy Hodgson had been sacked, Brian Kidd was manager, and he wouldn't last too long. Blackburn started the 2000s with a 1-1 draw at home to Wolves, Egil Ostenstad equalising. The likes of Matt Janssen, David Dunn and Damien Duff, who would all become Blackburn legends in varying degrees, all played in that match. Blackburn would peter out into 11th place with Lee Carsley, of all players, as their top scorer. But in his second full season, Matt Janssen was banging in the goals, almost trebling the tally from Lee Carsley the previous season, and as a result, followed Fulham back into the Premier League in second place. Sooness had taken over the reins halfway through Blackburn's first season back in the second tier and steered Blackburn back. Jack Walker had died early on in the 2000-2001 season and his dying wish was to see Blackburn back in the Premier League and of course Sooness would deliver that. With names such as Brad Friedel, Gary Flickcroft, Craig Short, Jason McAteer, Mark Hughes, Kevin Gillespie and the re-signed Henningberg. Back in the top flight, Matt Janssen, with a couple of years now of professional football under his belt, continued to add to his tally. But he, wasn't the, he was the only one in double figures. The likes of David Duff, Damien Duff and even Lucas Neal added considerably, but fell somewhere short of 10 goals. Corrado Grabby hadn't hit the ground running and, to be honest, in the first season back in the Premier League, neither had Blackburn. Before a match at home to Aston Villa in early March of 2002, they'd won six of their 27 Premier League games. However, they had come off the back of that season's personal highlight for Blackburn Rovers. Glory in Cardiff. Oldham, Middlesbrough, Manchester City and a Matt Janssen hat-trick against Arsenal in the quarterfinals led Blackburn to the latter stages of the League Cup. Inspiration from new signing Andy Cole against Sheffield Wednesday meant that Blackburn were in the League Cup final. Janssen and Cole combined to topple Spurs 2-1 in the final which was their first cup since 1928 and the FA Cup win over Huddersfield Town. Blackburn though was still in the sludge of relegation. They were four points off safety with 11 to play but a game in hand. Wins at home to Villa and Ipswich climbed them out. Dunn, Duff and Cole all scoring big kingpins for Blackburn at the time. But defeats in Leeds and Leicester. Blackburn would rebound with just one loss in the final seven um, and it was kind of a touchstone for Blackburn that they'd finish the season strongly in the 2000s. Their only loss would be a topsy-turvy 4-3 defeat at Anfield in their game in hand on the final week. With Europe already confirmed thanks to their League Cup showing, Blackburn ended with a 3-0 win over Fulham leapfrogging their fellow newly promoted team, finishing 10th whilst Fulham finished on 13th. Fulham, of course, as we know, would make a European final, the 2010 Europa League final, losing to Atletico Madrid and despite four attempts at it, Blackburn wouldn't either. 
They never really truly made it to the latter stages, losing first to Celtic in the uh, second round in 2002, and then a year later in the first round. They'd bow out at the same stage in 2007 to Larissa of Greece, and their only time making it to the springtime knockout stages was in 2006-2007, where they got through a group undefeated. They drew away at Feyenoord, Feyenoord who had won the trophy in 2002, and then they would go on to lose to Bayer Leverkusen in the last 32. I put a poll out on our Twitter account at what if underscore YouTube if you are wondering wondering what the best Blackburn River striker of the 2000s was. Matt Janssen got 8.2%, Other got 16.3%, whilst Benny McCarthy got 18.4%, whilst the runaway leader, undeniably, Roque Santa Cruz, 47.1%. Other suggestions were Jake Collinson said Craig Bellamy, Corrado Grabby, Elliot SAFC, probably sarcastically there, I'd hope, anyway. Harry Holland says Andy Cole, Paul Dickoff, John Stead and John Jason Roberts as honourable mentions. Arsenal for life, also outside the striker realm, two guy. He remembers two guy the most from that Blackburn winning team. All of his goals seem to be pure screamers. Whilst for the Love of List podcast states that it was all about Martin Gamst Pedersen. And Pedersen, of course, was part of for the Love of List podcast. 10 players at the streets won't forget podcast. So listen to that on Apple and Spotify right now. Have you come back? Right, so when I think of Blackburn in terms of players, it's hard not to think of David Dunn and Damien Duff in the early years combining on the wings. And then obviously we've got the teams of two guys, straddled two teams really, and then Martin Gamps pedersen who's arguably one of the better players outside the top four at the time. Santa Cruz obviously banged the goals in and then got his move elsewhere to Man City. And then they somehow managed to uh, convince Champions League winner Benny McCarthy to get to come to the team and, of course, McCarthy as well. Fantastic goal scorer for Blackburn at the time. Graeme Souness would take Blackburn to their best ever finish since 1995 and a joint best in the 21st century, obviously after that 1995 Premier League win, and a similarly good finish to the season, a hallmark of Blackburn Rovers in the 2002-03 season, winning six from seven, catapulted them into sixth place. However, Souness would be gone weeks into the 2004-05 season after a dismal 15th place showing, but he had signed Brett Emerton, so there was that in the uh, last stages of his Blackburn career. Former player Mark Hughes couldn't do any better finishing 15th in 2005. However, he did have to dredge them from bottom place and one win in his first 14 matches of the 2004-05 season. He had a cup semi-final on his CV later that season, losing to eventual FA Cup winners Arsenal, and another year later... Got another semi-final on his CV, losing to eventual League Cup winners Manchester United in the 2005-06 League Cup season, unable to uh, make it two League Cups for Blackburn. Hughes would bring in the likes of Ryan Nelson in defence and Zurab Kishinevshvili, which is a horrendous pronunciation, but my Georgian isn't up to scratch, I'll admit that. Robbie Savage also came in Morgan Gamps Pedersen, as previously stated, Aaron McQuainer and David Bellamy mid David Bentley in midfield, not that one. Craig Bellamy came up, came in up front. The hole left behind by the sales of David Dunn to Birmingham and Damien Duff to Chelsea was filled and Blackburn were ready to go again. They occupied the safety of mid-table for the first half of the 2005-06 season, claiming a double over Manchester United with that famous David Bentley hat-trick at Ewood Park in a 4-3 win. Got wins at high-flying Newcastle, Wigan and West Ham, the latter two promoted and West Ham would make a FA Cup final, Wigan the League Cup final, and both in top half. So 
By February, as the trend was, Blackburn kicked on, another six wins from seven against Sunderland, Arsenal, Villa, Middlesbrough and Sunderland. And with the visit of Wigan on April the 3rd, Blackburn, unbelievably now, were in a Champions League challenge along with Arsenal, Tottenham and the mighty Bolton Wanderers. However, Arsenal and Bolton's games in hand could take them back to the 7th. Blackburn were flying high in 5th, three points behind Spurs. However, they bottled it, but before that, we're going to talk about some more memories. The Anglo-Italian podcast states, The Venkis advert alone is the first memory that comes to mind. Maybe too late, of course, Venkis would uh, come to power in the 2010s. Just in the Premier League era, obviously the advert of them all eating chicken is harrowing. Um, Lelouch states, Ewood Park was a bogey round for Manchester United in the 2000s, so let's run the numbers on that. In the Premier League in the 2000s, Manchester United got three wins from nine at Ewood Park, three draws, three defeats, so that's bang average. Their only wins coming in October 2008, November 2006, and November 2003, with the losses in December 2002, which I remember was a Gary Flickcroft goal close to Christmas, I think. May 2004 when the title was wrapped up and that aforementioned David Bentley hat-trick in February 2006. So, let's kick on. Blackburn were held by Wigan, they were held by Portsmouth, yet they remained still within touching distance of the Champions League. But a Liverpool winner from Robbie Fowler, Birmingham winning late, left a minor miracle for Blackburn and they eventually settled for sixth. And then with the pressure seemingly off, Blackburn just simply won their last three, including at home to Chelsea and Manchester City. Obviously, Man City at the time, they weren't what they were, and Chelsea had had the league title wrapped up, so maybe a few asterisks against that. They'd finished four points behind Arsenal in fourth, and it was their best points tally in a 38-game Premier League season of 63. That, of course, would never be beaten. They wouldn't replicate sixth place either, but David Dunn did return. You've got the likes of Stephen Warnock, Stefan Henshaw, Chris Samba, Benny McCarthy and Andre Ouya came in. Another regeneration as Craig Bellamy and Lucas Neal both left. But Blackburn would still retain their top top half status in 10th and getting another cup semi-final, losing to Chelsea in the 2007 FA Cup semi-final at Old Trafford. Roque Santa Cruz was added the following year and with his goals and McCarthy's goals in a superb strike partnership, one of the best in the Premier League at the time, Blackburn improved to 7th place. However, that was the beginning of the end. Mark Hughes was away to Manchester City for their own little project with the new money and Rubinho, etc, etc. Paul Ince came in as manager, as we all know now. That was a doomed spell, probably the most famous part of Ince's time at Blackburn was his note that got somehow rotated and in post-production it just said, shoot. So that's the uh, legacy of Paul Ince at Ewood Park. So six defeats on the spin left in sacks just before Christmas with Blackburn five points from safety. They needed to save face and brought a manager in who needed to do likewise after a fresh off a bad stint at Newcastle. Allardyce steered them to 15th place. There was a changing of the guard again. Brad Friedel leaving for Paul Robinson. Brad Friedel may be one of the greatest players in Blackburn's history. Santa Cruz left, McQuayna left. Bentley left, two guy Warnock, McCarthy all left. Allardyce brought in the likes of Kalinic and Enzonzi, among others, and yet another semi-final, losing in that absolutely ridiculous 6-4 League Cup second leg to Aston Villa in 2010. Blackburn ended the 2000s in the mediocrity of 10th place. Allardyce would leave 12 months later before 2011, and Blackburn was since relegated in 2012 under Steve Keane. 
They've not been back to the Premier League since, even dipping into the third tier for the 2017-18 season, but have since threatened an outside chance of promotion back to the Premier League in recent years under Tony Mowbray and the goal-scoring exploits of the likes of Danny Graham in the past and then Bradley Dack, Adam Armstrong, and they've got a couple of uh, loanies from big Premier League clubs at the minute who are doing them wonders. So I asked... The best Premier League team outside the top four in the 2000s. So for me, Blackburn were definitely in and around the conversation for a time. And let's set a uh, time stamp on this, shall we? So the top four became the top four because of Chelsea's wealth and their appearance in what was sort of like a unofficial big six, which also included Leeds and Newcastle, which Newcastle caught the tail end of. Leeds don't necessarily count because they were out of the division before Chelsea you know, rose to prominence after 2004 when Mourinho came in. So, and Liverpool obviously made up that top four, completing that top four. We've returned to prominence, the Champions League in 2005, etc. And of course, Manchester United and Arsenal, the mainstays, really. Um, it was a time directly after the top four was formed. It was a time of Sam Allardyce's Bolton, who reached sixth, Mark Hughes's Blackburn, who also reached sixth. Neither broke to the top five, but the likes of Everton under David Moyes certainly did. Qualifying for the Champions League in 2005, let's not forget, obviously wouldn't ever play a proper Champions League game losing to Villarreal in the qualifiers, but he did better than any other team did in that time, try to break the top four. Martin O'Neill with Aston Villa did for a time try to uh, get that coveted top four, as did Tottenham under the likes of Martin Yol and Juan de Ramos. Martin Yol obviously coming excruciatingly close in 2006 with uh, Lasagna Gate. Of course, the money coming in from Manchester City and Tottenham's resurgence meant that the top four had transitioned to the big six by the 2009-10 season where you've got Aston Villa, City, Spurs all fighting for that top four place as Liverpool were on the cusp of administration and dropped out. Obviously, the big six would return to feature City, Tottenham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United as we know it today, which seemingly on another rejuvenation at the minute as we speak right now in 2021. So Aston Villa lost Martin O'Neill, Everton lost Moyes, both dropped out of the running. And around the same time, Bolton and Blackburn, they had their own demise and their own relegation. We'll remember Blackburn as nearly men who could stun you in the cup and uh, stun you in the league as well and get a respectable top half position. Had players at the streets, won't forget from the days of Damien Duff and David Dunn to two guy. Rocky, Santa Cruz and Martin Gamps, Pedersen and in patches were a very, very good footballing team. We'll be talking about the League Cup final of 2007 after this short break. Welcome back, sir. 2007 League Cup final. Arsenal, Chelsea, Wenger, Mourinho. Arsenal had a Definitive peak period in the 1930s, winning five league titles, two FA Cups. They had the double winners of 71, Anfield 89, the Wenger double-double winners of 98 and 2002, and the Invincibles of 2004. And little did they know, after recording eight successive top two finishes in the Premier League, they would never get so close again. Now, of course, they obviously they did finish second in 2016, but they dropped out of the title race well before in the spring, as they often did, and only leapfrog Spurs from third into second on the final day with Spurs' loss at Newcastle, I think. Wenger's Arsenal were not only league winners, 
but they were a fantastic cup team. Their 1998 FA Cup win over Newcastle was the first under Wenger, a first Arsenal trophy for four years since George Graham won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1994 and the first domestic trophy since Arsenal had done the double over Sheffield Wednesday in the 1993 League Cup and FA Cup finals. Arsenal hadn't won a League Cup since the likes of Paul Merson and Steve Morrow scored in that League Cup final in April to win 2-1. Cut to my then Sheffield Wednesday supporting uncle draping me in a Wednesday flag, me crying. I think I was preordained to support Manchester United there. Anyway, enough about me. Arsene Wenger hadn't won the League Cup and he ultimately would never win it, just like the Champions League, which he came so close to winning a year prior. Chelsea, on the other hand, at the turn of the century, they had a good cup team in them. Didn't get so close in the league, but they had won the FA Cup final in 1997 over Middlesbrough. They won the League Cup in 1998 again over Middlesbrough and topped it off with a Cup Winners' Cup, Gianfranco Zola, 1-0 Stuttgart in 1998. So the backstories between Arsenal and Chelsea are eerily similar coming up to this point. Before their boom periods, we've got them beating the same team in both domestic cups and snagging a Cup Winners' Cup under their belt. And then just as Viali and Ranieri left, in came their best ever manager jersey, just like when George Graham and Bruce Rioch left. Arsenal got their biggest manager, Arsene Wenger. And Mourinho, like Wenger, was quick off the block. He won his favourite cup trophy in England, the League Cup, the first available trophy in 2005. A 3-2 win after extra time over Liverpool, arguably the greatest League Cup final in history. And of course, he followed that up with Chelsea's first Premier League, first league title in 50 years. Whilst Chelsea's eyes were usually across all four trophies by February, March, April, you know, what they'd call the business end of the season, Arsenal never had too much of a shout in Europe, obviously bar 2006, and often lagged behind in the Premier League. Mourinho delivered successive Premier League title in 2006, something that Arsene Wenger could never do. And then in 2007, Chelsea were on for a quadruple. This was kickstarted, of course, by the contest we're going to talk about today. Theo Walcott got the ball rolling magnificently, collecting the ball in what we now call an inside left half space, curled in 12 minutes on the clock, Thierry Henry-esque, just as Thierry Henry was about to leave the club. His first goal, Theo Walcott, in an Arsenal shirt, and what a way to do it. Of course, those dreams of lifting a League Cup were dashed by the man for the big occasion who loves scoring for Chelsea in Cup finals, of course. I'm talking about Didier Drogba, who equalised for Chelsea eight minutes after Theo Walcott's goal, getting in behind the defence, prodding it through, Manuel Almunia, and then with six minutes left on the clock, Didier Drogba with that cornrowed haircut, flicked ahead onto the far post, 2-1. Chelsea were League Cup champions for the second time in three years, and then obviously the biggest mass brawl this side of uh, Arsenal and Manchester United clashes from 1990 and 2003. Adebayor was sent off, Kolo Torre was sent off, John Obi Mikel was sent off, many more, in truth, should have been. Adebayor arguably shouldn't have been sent off either. So um, Chelsea secured a cup double win in the FA Cup against Manchester United in one of the most boring FA Cup finals in history in 2007. Finished second in the Premier League, semi-finals of the Champions League. And Mourinho, it would turn out to be his last trophy as Chelsea manager, in his first stint anyway. Success didn't stop for Chelsea, however. 2009 FA Cup final beat Everton, won the 2010 Premier League a point ahead of Manchester United under Carlo Ancelotti, following that up with a double in 2010, beating Portsmouth 1-0. Liverpool were beaten two years later in the same FA Cup final. The double achieved in Roberto Di Matteo's first season by beating Bayern Munich a few days later, arguably the greatest night in Chelsea's history. 
or inarguably really. And then they would win Europa League a year later. Branislav Ivanovic, 93rd minute winner against Benfica. And in the meantime, Arsenal won precisely nothing. But finally ended their drought in 2014 by beating Hull in the FA Cup final. 2015 saw another FA Cup win, this time over Villa. And they have won FA Cups number 13 and 14, both over Chelsea in 2017 and 2020. And Arsene Wenger's final best league finish was in 2008. 83 points, which has yet to be bettered. Closest they got was in 2014 with 79 points and 4th place. I asked for memories on our Twitter account, Anglo-Italian Podcast States, celebrating when John Terry got KO'd in front of my Chelsea mate. And even though Arsenal lost, it still felt as though we won. Of course, Abu Dhabi delivering a perfect switch in music to John Terry. John Terry knocked out in the middle of the... uh, middle of the Arsenal penalty area, which sort of condenses John Terry's character down into one five-second clip there. The character, courage, bravery of a central defender who was probably one of the best of his generation. George HS2706 tweets us, trying to get a clear reception to the final via an old analogue radio. Those were the days. And since... I've not really listened, watched much, well, I can't watch it on a radio, but I haven't watched, listened to much football on a radio. I think my only experiences were England versus Germany in 2000, the last game at Wembley. Um, I listened to Bradford staying up on the final day against Liverpool. And, oh, actually recently, I think it was, oh, I listened to a West Brom match earlier on this season in the in the, in the short Vonda days of pay-per-view Premier League days where you couldn't get it anywhere so I'll listen to it on TalkSpot which was bad of me because I didn't I shouldn't really listen to TalkSpot because they are ass anyway Arsenal for life didn't really care that they lost in 2007 the real kicker for him was the 2011 final which was very different obviously would have ended what was then a six-year drought for a cup I watched that with an Arsenal supporting friend of mine <laughs> and yeah it wasn't good <laughs> Losing to Birmingham, of course, through Oberfemi Martins. After this short break, we'll be talking about Mourinho still, and we'll be going to Portugal for the table never lies in the 2003-4 season. Welcome back, and in the table never lies in Portugal in 2004, there's only one team we can really honestly discuss, and that is Porto. Jose Mourinho had taken over. He'd been managed. He'd managed Benfica. He'd managed Liéria, and he'd taken over a team in Porto that had won nothing in the 2001-2 season, and the first time since 1989 that that had happened to Porto. The two seasons preceding that trophyless season, that that particular time was Porto's best time. They'd won the European Cup in '87. They'd won the League and Cup double in 1988, as well as the Intercontinental Cup. And within two years of Mourinho, they'd eclipsed that. He often played a 4-4-2 diamond with the likes of Vit- Vitor Bayer in net. He had George Costa mainstay in the heart of the Porto defence, had been for nearly a decade and a half. Ricardo Carvalho, of course. Nuno Valente, who had brought from his old club, Liaria, and Paulo Ferreira, who was signed in the same summer from Setubal. In the midfield, you had world-class, absolutely world-class midfield, Costinha. Deco, Manish, who 
Jose had brought in from Benfica in 2002, and Pedro Mendes, who was assigned in 2003 from Guimaraes in a diamond formation. Benny McCarthy was a similar new signing from Celta Vigo in 2003, with Derlai from Mourinho's old club Liera in 2002, whilst Carlos Alberto sort of made the most of Derlai's long-term knee injury by signing midway through the fantastic 2003-04 season. Derlai and Alberto would start up front in arguably Porto's best night, the 2004 Champions League final against Monaco, which we will discuss later on. So on approach to this weekend, 17 years ago today, approaching the 3-0 win over Vittoria Guimaraes, Mourinho had gone to Sport in Lisbon, or Sporting Club de Portugal, and Benfica and got 1-1 draws. After the wins over the same teams in September 2003, beating Sporting 4-1 and Benfica 2-0. The biggest hurdles in the league, seemingly, had been leapt over and Porto were still undefeated. It was looking ominous. They'd drawn four, they'd only drawn five of their 23 matches in the league. They'd sought us the league title, of course, winning four more in a row versus Guimaraes, Academica, Belenense, Boa Vista and Morinense. And then on April the 3rd, 2004, the undefeated streak just evaporated. They lost 2-0 to Gil Vicente in between quarter-final legs of the Champions League to Lyon, which coincidentally they would have course win 4-2 on aggregate. The dropped points seemingly followed a bit of a pattern in that Mourinho had, he knew he had the league wrapped up and joined 0-0 twice in a row away to Nacional and Biramar prior to a all-important game in the Champions League, another 0-0 against Deportivo in the first leg at home. The second loss came the weekend prior to a 1-0 win in La Coruña. Derlai scoring the penalty there, same man who had scored in Porto's UEFA Cup win the summer prior against Celtic. Porto would sign off the league season with a win over Pacos de Ferreira, league sewn up a while back, step one of three of what could have been a famous treble was secured. The second step, of course, was a Tassa de Portugal final against Benfica. Derlai opened the scoring, as he would do against Deportivo in the semi-final, as he had done in the UEFA Cup year prior, but Benfica equalised. And then in extra time, on 109 minutes, Shamao halted the treble push. It was dead in the water. Benfica were cup champions. Porto just the league winners. But 10 days later, the ultimate night in Mourinho's Folklore, really. A 3-0 win against Didier Deschamps, Monaco. The last Portuguese team to reach the Champions League final. Of course, the last to win it. Porto, having not gone undefeated in 2004, would go undefeated in 2011. A year in which they won the treble of the League Cup and Europa League. And again, they would complete a second undefeated season in 2013. However, with no such distractions after being eliminated from Europe and the Cup, in the last 16 phase, Mourinho would, of course, go to Chelsea and win, as aforementioned, almost everything. The only thing that he didn't win at Chelsea was the thing that Chelsea and Roman Abramovich craved in the Champions League, losing several semi-finals. He'd get a second Champions League, though, into Milan in 2010. And elsewhere in the Portuguese League in 2004, Benfica pipped Sporting to second place with a 1-0 win away on the penultimate day, which meant Champions League for Benfica and the UEFA Cup for Sporting. However, both clubs will be playing in the UEFA Cup come the springtime of 2005. And it would be Sporting who got the furthest in Europe that season, 
Porto bowing out of the Champions League in the last 16. Obviously, the draw, as magical as it is, paired Jose Mourinho instantly up with his former club in Porto in the group stages. Meanwhile, Benfica were dumped out of the Champions League at the qualifiers, meaning Portugal only had one representative in the tournament that year. And they would lose their only UEFA Cup game, bowing out at the last 32 stage. Meanwhile, on the other half of the draw, Sporting would beat Feyenoord, they'd beat Middlesbrough, they'd beat Newcastle and Azad Alkmaar, only to lose the UEFA Cup final to CSK Moscow. At the other end of the table, Belenense would join the likes of Pacos de Ferreira and Estrella in relegation to the second tier. This was thanks in part to a 2-0 loss to Braga, when a point would have leapfrogged them over Alverca, who lost 3-1 to Morinense. Let's round today's show off with a 2000s trivial teaser. And again, three correct answers this week from our listeners. Welcome back, welcome back. And our three aforementioned correct answers came from Lelouch, MacBurn, and Northeast Football Shirts. The latter two, they're on quite the run on 2000s trivial teaser. So our play last week was a centre forward. He'd been managed by Graham Souness, Roy Keane. Some of these names we've spoken of today, which included two guy. Effie Sodje, who we haven't spoken about. Rory Delap, Anton Jarrad, and Ollie McBurney. It was, of course, John Stead, the Blackburn legend, and later on, Bradford Huddersfield, etc, etc. So, we're staying up top for our trivial teaser this week. He's a player who'd been managed by Sir Bobby Robson. He's also been managed by Ian Holloway and... He shared the centre-forward berth alongside the likes of John Hartson and Alan Shearer. He's also played with Nobby Solano, Jonathan Woodgate and Wojciech Szczesny. Again, a centre-forward been managed by Sir Bobby Robson, Ian Holloway and he's played alongside John Hartson, Nobby Solano, Alan Shearer, Jonathan Woodgate and Wojciech Szczesny. I think it's a bit of a tricky one this week but I'm sure you'll let me know when inevitably on Twitter, at whatif underscore YouTube, when within minutes of me posting the picture, I'll get a few correct responses anyway. If you think you know the answer, do it through those channels, at whatif underscore YouTube on Twitter, or comment down below on this YouTube video that you are watching right now, if you make it this far. Next week will be episode 31, and next week we'll be returning home to England and to the 2003-04 Premier League season, which of course we can only talk about one team there, and we will. And we're also going to be looking at Wigan's fantastic first season in the Premier League in 2005-06. And we're going to take a look at Manchester derbies of the 2000s as we're getting really close to derby day in Manchester here in 2021. Elsewhere on the channel, we'll be looking at the 1996 UEFA Cup final, Argentina, Juventus, Michael Owen, Barcelona, Albert Camus, the philosopher. League Cup runners-up, they're going to be ranked. We're going to look at Brian Clough and Pez 3 is getting a good review. Fantastic game. Keep it on at if what if you underscore YouTube on Twitter. Like, subscribe, leave us a nice review in the comments. We'll be back next week with episode 31 and throughout the week. See you later. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.